Welcome to the Fullness Church Weekly Podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. Well, good morning again. How's everybody? Are you sure? You seem a little post-Christmassy. Uh, this morning. So uh, let's see if we can wake up together. Uh, This is a sermon. I I try not to repeat my sermons. At least I try not to publicly admit I repeat my sermons, uh, except for this one. Uh, This sermon I do at either the end or the beginning of every year, and it's called Wake Up, because we all have a tendency to fall asleep over time spiritually. And I believe that it's a it's a call, a reminder that, that God wants us to stay awake, stay alert for a number of reasons. We're going to talk about that. So in Proverbs chapter 26, there are some references to um, a guy called the sluggard. Uh, he just kind of is an example to us of a person who has fallen asleep. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, I do want to reiterate what uh, Gabriel has already said to you about the, the prayer and fasting notebooks, the folders, the devotions. Please get one before you leave. Also, the prayer cards, if you're not going to be here, fill out one of those because 6 a.m. every morning, somebody's going to be praying for you. An individual will pray for you. They're going to try and hear from God for you. So if you have a prayer request, please Put that, leave it on. We'll do it again next week before we start. Our prayer and fasting actually starts a week from tomorrow, 6 a.m., Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on Sundays. I feel like I'm selling something. 6 a.m. every morning, 9 a.m. on Saturdays. Um, And so be here or watch online. Great time. And though I know it's difficult at times to get here at 6 a.m., if you can be present in the room, it is an awesome experience. It's different than watching online. So you can join us online. Uh, that's better than nothing, but being here is, is awesome. Our theme for our time of prayer and fasting is this idea of renewal. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, sometimes I think, we think, Paul is just blowing smoke. Can we really put off this corrupt old and put on the spirit of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God? Is that, are we capable of that? And I want to say to you, yes, we are. This is not beyond our reach, but it's not our reach. It's God's reaching down to us. It is in his goodness and his glory that we're able to see this unbelievable transformation take place in our lives. Our goal is to actually believe it. Our ideal is that in faith we receive what God says is possible about us. And trust me, you have 
you have an enemy who is trying to tell you something different about you. He's trying to condemn you. He's trying to bring you down. He's trying to tell you you are worthless, that um, all sorts of lies, and that's exactly what they are, is lies about who you are. Instead, I want to encourage you today to wake up to what God says about you, who you are, who you can be. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be just absolutely everything, but you are so much more than you think you are. And if we can in faith receive that and wake up to this truth, it'll change our lives. This time of fasting and prayer, what it does for us, I think, is it helps us break off some of the dirt that we've accumulated over the years by the denying of things that at times bring us pleasure. So there's a, there's a denial, so to speak, in fasting, uh, a putting away, like we're, we're going to give up food for a period of time for the purpose of prayer, uh, maybe, and you can fast from anything. I'm going to talk about this more next week, but just as a preview, you can put off um, social media, not a bad idea, news, entertainment, um, uh, all, all sorts of things you can deny yourself of for a period of time for the purpose of seeking after God. So you're denying yourself and breaking off the, the junk of the world in order to hear from God. And then you're actively pursuing God in prayer. It's not like you're just denying yourself for no purpose. You are pursuing him. Because I think there's this tug, this pull and push in our lives all the time. Jesus, when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down, he finds his disciples uh, praying for a guy, the, the, the nine that are left. They're praying. He's taken some up with him, but they come down. It's a, it's a mess. Uh, this kid is throwing himself into the fire. Uh, he's asking for help. His nine disciples that are left, they can't do anything with him. Jesus steps into them, and he says this to them, his followers. You unbelieving and perverse generation. Well, that's not what I want to hear about me. Unbelieving and perverse. Now, what he's saying is there's all of this junk you've picked up. You're walking not in who I've called you to be yet, but you're walking in unbelief, which is a lack of, and perverse, which is too much of, right? So they're unbelieving, they have a lack of faith, and they're perverse, their actions are too much in a given direction. And what fasting and prayer does for us is it helps us by denying, breaking off, and pursuing. What should, how do we bring this balance to our lives? And later on, after he casts the demon out of the boy, after he heals the boy, the disciples say to him, why couldn't we do it? And he says to them, this kind can only come out how? Prayer, pursuing God, and fasting, denial. And that's what fasting and prayer really does for us. To help us recenter, it helps us both deny and pursue. And so we need this balance in our lives. Now, that's a preview of why we fast and pray. We've done this for 30 years. This is our 30th anniversary as a church. We start every single year in the month of January. We've done it since day one, really. 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so we don't do it for no reason or just because we have a purpose here. 
And one of the purposes, I believe, and this is why I preach this sermon each year, is that we need a stirring. We need something to wake us up from our slumber spiritually. R.T. Kendall, uh, who's, uh, who's been here and taught at Fullness before, says there are three characteristics about sleep. And he says the first one is, you don't know that you're asleep until you wake up. You know, when you're, while you're sleeping, you don't know you're sleeping. Then you wake up and you realize, oh, I was asleep. And then he says, uh, you dream about doing things that you would not do otherwise if you're awake. Can I get an amen? I mean, all of us have had these dreams where we do things, crazy things, jump off cliffs, run through malls, um, take classes that we never go to and then have to go take the final. Anybody have that recurring dream? Yeah, I still have those and I'm 40 years out of school. Uh, I signed up for a class I'd never went to and now it's the day of the final. Um, you dream about doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do if you were awake. And the third characteristic is we hate the sound of the alarm. We don't like to be stirred. We don't like to be awakened. This is very true, I think, of us spiritually, too, if we fall asleep. We, um, we don't know we're asleep. We don't know we're deceived. We, don't, we, we end up doing things if we would never do if we were actually spiritually awake at the moment. We'd be aware of what God says about us and what we should do and not do. And when somebody says to us, it's time to wake up, we don't like that sound. We hit the sloth button over and over again. You may call it the snooze button. At my house, I call it the sloth button, uh, except now I talk to it. I don't even have to touch it. I can say, Alexa, shut up. Um, don't wake me, kind of thing. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to understand the present times. The hours come for us to wake up from our slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs, this sluggard who is the example to us of one asleep, and some characteristics of him and how we wake up. So the first point is this. We need to wake up to the call for diligence in our lives. We cease to be diligent when we fall asleep. And so here's the first uh, proverb, Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Symbol of one asleep. Um, you know, the imagery is so vivid, I don't think I have to really show you, but a door, it just, it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but it goes nowhere. It's just going back and forth. It, 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 it's, it's a sign of lack of diligence with one who is asleep and in their bed and just flips back and forth. It's a call for us to wake up to diligence. Author of Hebrews says this, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Too often we fall asleep, and when we fall asleep, we cease to be diligent. 
we cease to pay attention to what's going on around us. Instead, our entire goal in life is flipping to the other side of the bed. Jesus, if you'll remember, before his arrest, crucifixion, he goes into a garden to pray. And he knows what's facing him coming up. He senses that his time is near. He asks the Father to take the cup from him if possible. But he takes some disciples with him, and he says to them, hey, pay attention, pray with me. So he goes away and prays, and then he rose from his prayer, went back to the disciples. Where did he find them? He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Here's the idea. When you seek to be, you, you stop being diligent, you are more prone to temptation. When you fall asleep, when you quit being diligent, that's when you are tempted. Now, many of us would say, you know, if I was a follower of Jesus, I'd never fall asleep. I would stay diligent. I mean, it was being with Jesus, the miracles and this and all that's taken place. And even his best guys fell asleep on him. They couldn't hang for even an hour in prayer. They quit being diligent. I remember um, when my dad was alive and I was in college and they used to have a morning prayer time that Wendy's dad would go to every morning as well down in South Florida. And so one day I was home from college or seminary or something. I was with my dad and he said, hey, go, go to prayer with me at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Honestly, I didn't want to go. Um, I still was in my 20s and sleeping was a high value for me at the time. And you've got students or people in their 20s. Uh, or maybe you're in your 30s or 40s and it's still in value for you. I don't know. Anyway, I went to prayer meeting with my dad reluctantly, but I'm trying to engage. I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to, to, to stay in there. My dad's up on the altar praying, and I know he's going hard after God, and I come up next to him and he's snoring. <laughs> and I said afterwards to him, you drug me out of bed to a prayer meeting where you're sleeping. It, I don't care who you are, is what I'm saying. My dad was the most spiritual man I've ever known. It's easy to fall asleep, both literally and figuratively. And again, you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. We need to be stirred. We need not to be like a door on its hinge. We need to be engaged with God. Why? Because it leads us to the second point. God is calling us to be a people of action. He's calling us to be engaged. This is not about just standing back and letting the paid professionals do the work. It's about all of us being engaged. Back to the sluggard, Proverbs 26, 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. This is the picture of inaction to me. Food has been placed before the sluggard. Good food. Middle East, they use their hands to eat. He places his hand in the food and he says, I'm just so tired. I can't even, 
this motion itself is killing me kind of thing. He won't even bring it to his mouth, the lack of inaction. Spiritually, think about this, people. We have the very presence of God lying before us. We have the word of God. We have the power of God. We have the, the things of God. And sometimes spiritually, we're too lazy to even bring them to reach out and take what God has just provided for us in order for us to live the life that he's called us to. And I'm telling you, people, it is time to wake up. You may think of action as, oh, I don't, if, if I agree to this action thing, God is going to call me to go to some far-off country, to, and he's going to call me to sell everything I have and to live the... I don't know what God is going to call you to, but if you live your life saying, I'm not going to follow God because of what it might lead to, you'll never follow God. You'll just stay right where you are. It's a lie from the pit of hell that says to you, reach, don't, don't, don't bring it to you. Just, you can touch it, but leave it. Don't act upon what God is talk, talking to you. I, Dave, um, for my birthday, I had a birthday this week. You can save your applause till later. Um, I had a birthday this week. Dave gave me a book called uh, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot was a very famous um, missionary and author from really when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s. She was very influential, especially on uh, women. She wrote, uh, wrote a book called uh, Passion and Purity that was very well known um, back in the day. Anyway, her husband was a missionary who was killed in Central America. There's another famous book called Through Gates of Splendor that was one of the greatest missionary books I think ever written that I read early in life. Anyway, her decision to follow after God no matter what, no matter where he led, no matter what he called her to do, allowed her to be comfortable from the jungles of Central America to a cocktail party in New York. It's not what God is saying don't do so many times. I think it's what God is calling us to. We think of Christianity as these rules against action. But really, I think if we pursue God in what he's called us to do, there's so much more for us in the kingdom of God. You know, today's... December 31st, and our country today is, <clears throat> from churches and nonprofits, it's a big day. Because we say to people, hey, it's December 31st, if you want credit on your taxes, you got to give money today, it's got to be credited to today, otherwise you can't take it as a deduction from last year. I don't know how many emails I got about this concern. Uh, from various churches, nonprofits all over the country asking for money by December 31st. About five years ago, sometime in there, um, the government doubled our personal deductions, whatever it's called. What is it? Is that it? Standard deduction. Standard deduction. Thank you. Uh, I'm obviously not an accountant. I'm a pastor. Uh, I, I know little about money. I just happen to be surviving. Anyway, um, <clears throat> they doubled our standard deduction which meant that normal people, um, how much you gave to church didn't matter anymore because you can't deduct it because your standard deduction doubled. Do you know my lack of faith was so high 
that I said, we're screwed. You know, people aren't going to give anymore because now they can't deduct it from their taxes. Every year since then, giving at fullness has continued to go up. Why? Because we, we try to teach this is not about you and the government. This is about your worship before God. Um, this year, as in past years, we didn't need to send out an email asking you for money because you gave generously. Our needs are taken care of other than my LED screen, which still hasn't arrived yet. Um, this, this slide actually looks much better uh, than it looks up here. All that to say, when we wake up to God's command of action in our lives, we don't have to say, don't do this or do this. Instead, all we do is say, listen to God. Hear from God. Do what God is telling you to do. Isn't that a better way to live than someone's telling you all the time, stop doing that? I think it is. And it will provide, by the way, lasting results in your life. And the word of God came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. You remember the story of Jonah. He's asked, told, commanded, the prophet. He's a prophet of God. I mean, there's a label there that says, I hear from God, I do what God says. Jonah's told to go to Nineveh. Jonah's response is, yeah, I don't think so. I hate those people. I'm not going to go preach to them. So instead of going to Nineveh, he runs away. Again, there's so much in Jonah. I don't have time to really fill it in. But he goes and jumps on a boat. He's going to go the opposite direction. Um, Jonah's an example of a guy who would rather die than do what God told him to do. To me. I mean, I think maybe you think that's a little extreme, but... He's willing to say, I'm going to go jump on a boat. Now, this is not boats like we have boats. We're talking thousands of years ago boats. These are not great boats. But he's willing to go get on a boat and run away from God. And then it says in chapter 1, verse 4, then God sent you not running away from God. God sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Sorry, I'm, I had to be careful on that one. Uh, um, the ship threatened to break up. <laughs> Sometimes you look at the winds of your life and you think, oh, the devil hates me. Maybe the devil doesn't hate you. Maybe God is trying to stir you and say, buddy, you're headed the wrong direction. Time to turn around. God sent this wind on Jonah. All the sailors on the ship who are, you know, used to this thing, all the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They're getting, they're getting rid of stuff, trying to save themselves. Where's Jonah? Do you remember the story? Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. In the middle of the storm, Jonah was asleep. To me, that's a picture of us at times spiritually, where in the storms of our life, we would so rather not that we'll just fall asleep spiritually rather than pursuing the things of God. 
the captain comes to Jonah and says to him, how can you, how can you be asleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe you will take notice of us and we will not perish. Even the heathen come to Jonah, prophet of God, mighty man of faith, who's asleep and says, pray to your God, maybe he'll save us. It's time for us to wake up to this command for action. You know, one of the reasons we're not acting is because, is because we're not staying diligent in what God has called us to do. Then when he calls us, we don't do it. And also, too often, we just are, we're asleep and deceived in our positions. Leads to the third point, final one, which is to wake up to the crisis of deception in your life. Terrible thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. You're going through life like everything's cool, everything's great, so you don't know you're, you're deceived. A number of years ago, I was on a, a trip with my family. I mean, a number of years. It's like 20, 15, 20 years ago. Upper, I was around 50, I think, at the time. Um, you do the math. And um, I was with my family. We're uh, at this uh, uh, river, this lake. We're swimming. Um, my wife takes a picture. A couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, I'm looking at the pictures my wife has taken, and I see myself, and I, I'm, I look at the picture. I'm like, it was a little bit of a distance from me to the picture, and I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, man, what am I wearing? That shirt is like way too big, and it's all wrinkled, and uh, it just looks horrible. I wonder what I'm wearing. I blew it up. I wasn't even wearing a shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. It's time for action. I thought I looked good, but I, whatever I was wearing needed ironing and needed to be smaller. Too often... We think differently about ourselves than we actually are. To me, that's the, the, the height of deception. When we think we're this, but we're, we're not. Back to our friend, the sluggard. He says, there's a lion in the streets. Or, I will be murdered in the streets. So what does he do? He's, he, he's deceived, so he does nothing. He said, if I go outside, I'm going to be murdered. Or there's a lion out there. Well, there's not a lion. I mean, that's the implication here in the proverb. There's no lion. There's no murderer standing outside his door. So he, he's deceived, so he doesn't act. He just remains the sluggard. Down in verse 16, the same chapter, he says, the slugger is, this is the height of deception, by the way. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. The idea being that the sluggard thinks he's the smartest guy in the room all the time. I know better. I know better. Have you, have you ever talked, forget you for a minute, have you ever talked to someone who knows everything? I mean, they know everything. No matter what you say, they know something more. Cheryl uh, Ross used to make fun of me, and she used to say something like, she'd met this guy who was a know-it-all, 
just drove her crazy. <laughs> she would say, you know, he's not like a, he's not a know-it-all like Bart's a know-it-all, um, because <laughs> Bart actually does know it all, which is not true. She was making fun of me in her own way. But it's tough to be in a room with someone like that, isn't it? He, the, the sluggard, he's not going to ever receive truth because he already knows it. It's the height of deception. We have to humbly come before God and say, God, I, I don't know. Please, please wake me up to what you want to do in my life. Example of this is the strong man, Samson. Remember, Samson falls in love with the wrong woman. She is kind of trapped and has to ask Samson the source of his strength, and he says, it's like bow strings. Tie me up with bow strings or tie me up with new ropes or braid my hair, and every time he does, they come in and say, Samson, the Philistines are here. He wakes up, he breaks the bow strings, he breaks the ropes. He, I don't know what he does with his hair, unbraids it. Goes out and kills the Philistines. Happens three times. Samson, to me, is a picture of a strong man, but not very bright. Because it happens a fourth time. And he actually tells Delilah what the source of his strength is. Hair gets cut off. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. So don't you think Samson would wake up and say, man, I'm not feeling so good today. I'm feeling a little weakish, a little peckish. I'm not feeling very strong. No. He woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. This is the tragic line of the story to me. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Height of deception. Did not know the Lord's presence was even gone. He felt the same, but it was different. See, the terrible thing about deception is you don't know you're deceived. You're going along like, yeah, everything's good. Everything's fine. I mean, people, I'm not going to get political, but I mean, think about this. There's a group. I could take a vote in this room on people who think the election was stolen. I could take a vote and say, do you think it was stolen or it was legit? I don't even want to know the difference. I'm not telling you where I fall on this spectrum. I'm just saying we have people in this room who are on different ends of what they believe to be true. Now, here's the terrible thing about truth. Truth is truth. I, I, don't, I don't, honestly, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I have no idea. I don't know. Everything I have from there is an opinion. You can throw stones if you want to at me. But what I'm saying is we all walk in a measure of deception in some area of our lives. How do we ever determine how we're going to function? I believe we have to come and stand on the truth of the word of God. Say, no matter what, kings may rise and fall, elections may be stolen or given, but my God reigns forever. I'm going to walk in truth, his truth, the kind of truth that will lead us into the forward days. Because you'll never know where seeds at times are, are sown. There's this parable that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. It's a picture of deception. It's a picture, of, but it's not a picture of going, oh, let's go tear it all out. 
Let's tear the, but instead, he's going to let it grow up and then sort it out. We need to wake up to walk in the truth that God has given us every moment of every, every day. And do this. Understanding the present time. Let's see if I can get you there. Here we go. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Back in Ephesians, Paul says, it's light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. As a result, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If you're going to walk awake in your life, every moment of every day, you're going to be careful how you live. You're not going to live as an unwise person, but try to walk in the wisdom of God, and you're going to make the most of every opportunity. As you go from this place today, as you seek after God, as you celebrate this new year, and some of us have resolutions, uh, some of us have resolutions that are five years old that we've never followed uh, on, um, but here's what I hope will take you into this new year, is that God is calling you to be diligent, make the most of every opportunity. God is calling you to action, not as an unwise person, but as a wise one. God is calling you to be alert to the crisis of deception, that's the lies that are trying to creep their way into your life because the days are evil. God, wake us up from our slumber. This morning, if anything, I am sounding the alarm to say for us it is time to wake up. If the days were evil in Paul's time 2,000 years ago, how much more so and how much closer to are we to the day of Christ's return? Lord, we thank you and pray that we will indeed wake up. Arise, O sleeper. Wake up. Because Christ, like the sun, will shine on you. Lord, I pray that your light would shine on each and every one of us today. That, Spirit of God, you'd stir our hearts. That you'd come upon us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We glory in you. We want to be a people after your name. We want to do what you called us to do. We want to be found good stewards of all you've entrusted to our care. We want to say to you, thank you, O oh God, for your indescribable gift of not only life, but life eternal, life abundant, life free, life empowered, life with purpose. Lord, as we enter this new year, you'll find us not only faithful, but fruitful as well. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Before we leave this morning, stand up. And we're going to just, we're going to worship God. We're going to praise Him for just a second. We're going to remind ourselves that the sound of the alarm has come. It's time to arise. It's time to wake up. It's time to walk in the power and presence of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.